This podcast is made possible by Sage People and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jim Benson, CFO of Akamai Technologies, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 427. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. This episode, we feature three different not-for-profit CFOs. What are their priorities? How do they differ from those CFOs of for-profit organizations? What motivates them? Do they enjoy greater career satisfaction? We ask these questions and more after these words from our sponsor. Hello, Jack here. I have a message for you from the folks at Sage People. Decisions about your people should be driven by data. But is your HR department still using spreadsheets to keep track of your people? It's time to move to cloud. Understand what makes your employees tick. Know your best performers or determine absence trends. All with a cloud HR and people system. Sage People empowers organizations to respond quickly and easily to changing priorities in today's shifting world of work. It means you can make sure your workforce is able to adapt while staying connected and engaged wherever they are. Discover how to get instant insights at your fingertips. Visit us today at sageintech.com forward slash sage dash people. not-for-profit CFO we'll be featuring is Julian Love, who is today CFO of St. Hope Community Development Company. Julian, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Jack. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well. Uh, before we begin, let me just mention that St. Hope, uh, based in uh, Sacramento, California, uh, is a public charter school system that was started by ex-NBA star Kevin Johnson, for students of uh, lower income and minority backgrounds. Uh, fill us in maybe on the sort of the organizational history. What would you, uh, what would you tell us? Yes, yeah, so St. Hope was founded in 1989. Uh, the mission was to revitalize Oak Park, Sacramento through public education and economic development. So we have a system of charter schools. Right now we have four charter schools all based in Oak Park, uh, K through 12. We serve around 2,000 students. Uh, we also have an economic development company in, in the same community where we have um, a host of businesses and real estate holdings where our focus is creating jobs and bringing uh, services to the community. So tell us about uh, how this entity is managed. And again, it's, it appears to have several uh, different types of uh, organizations under one umbrella. Yeah, I, th- I think the best answer to that is first to step back and what else? When our founder, Kevin Johnson, founded 
um, Save Hope. It started with the schools, um, and, and, we, and we just wanted to do schools and do public education in Oak Park, Sacramento. But at that time, um, it wasn't a great neighborhood for kids to have, you know, to walk to school every day, and there was a lot of um, a lot of activity, drug activity, prostitution, a lot of things going on um, that, you, that you didn't want kids to have to walk through every day. So the second part of the strategy, economic development, came about because we wanted to ensure, he wanted to ensure at that time that there was opportunity that these kids were able to see when walking to school each day. And so that's why we do uh, both of those things. And in terms of management structure, we have a CEO who is CEO of both organizations. Um, both the economic development and the public schools. Then we have our kind of, you could think of it as, as our business team or our, our support services, which is the finance team and the HR team. Um, those also support both the schools and the economic development companies. Um, then we have a chief of schools, a new, newly appointed chief of schools who runs all of the schools from an academic perspective. And where it really works out for us is our chief of schools can focus on academics and curriculum and the teachers and the students and doesn't have to worry so much about the finances, building the budget, running the payroll. We take that load off of her plate so that we can focus on building uh, the most streamlined, most efficient uh, business operation as possible, and she can focus on learning. And so that's why we're set up this way. So as you look forward, having uh, been in this role a while now, what are your priorities as a finance leader when you look forward over the next 12 months? Yeah, for the next 12 months, um, my key priorities are making sure that the budget is strong and that we, we manage our expenses to our budgets and we end the year with a surplus. Uh, doing that will allow us to reinvest in technology for our schools going forward. Uh, in addition to that, it's going to be um, we have a few businesses on the economic development side. In total, we're profitable, but it's a few businesses that I'm focusing on with the team, ensuring that uh, we take them from a non-profitable place to a profitable place. And then we have another business where we just want to see more growth. Yeah, so I've had a, a pretty um, short but robust career in finance. I started my career at General Electric in a finance leadership program, and so built a strong foundation in finance there. Um, and then I went and worked for Ernst & Young, where I got to work uh, primarily on ERP implementation. And so learned a ton about ERP technology and how it works and really get, got to be in the trenches of that, of that technology and processes. Um, and then I, I got the opportunity at St. Hope to really come back and completely rebuild the finance organization from scratch. And so that's what I've been doing for about the last two years. I had you uh, look into the future for us rather quickly. I, I forgot to ask you uh, to look back. Um, I'm wondering, when you first arrived at St. Hope, what was your first order of business as, as a finance leader? Yeah, so the situation was we had a third-party finance vendor who was really owning the whole finance operation, and the organization wanted to move away from that and build our own finance organization. So my first order of business was I knew in the start of our next fiscal year, July 1, we had to have um, a new, a whole new operation. So the first order of business was finding out which ERP system were we going to use to run our business. 
What about team members? Were there certain key roles uh, that needed to be filled, or what was your whole, what were your priorities when it came to people? Yeah, so that was the second order of business. So after we landed on NetSuite as our technology of choice, um, I had to build out the team. So we built the org structure, and so the org structure I built was we're a relatively small organization, about $20 million, and so I figured we could have one person in each component of the business. So so one person running human capital finance is what I called it, so that's payroll, benefits, administration, all of that. One person on procure-to-pay finance, so doing all the purchasing, AP, um, and then I also created another role, which would be kind of like a controller role, which would be a lot of the compliance reporting and just making sure our books were stated correctly. Now, having gone through the process, tell us something that you would uh, would have done differently. I, I'd say I think the process actually did go pretty well. Um, one thing I may have done differently is we decided to implement both NetSuite ERP and NetSuite Payroll uh, in like a under a 90-day period. And we were able to do it successfully, but that was kind of biting off a lot to chew doing both of those implementations at the same time. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in terms of the future here, is there is it expected to have more charter schools under its umbrella? What, what is, in terms of growth, where is it going to happen, or will the current schools just uh, grow in in uh, in size? Yeah, what we're looking at it right now is so we want to get our current system uh, operating as like you know one of the best schools in the state, and so that's what we're focused on. We'll probably grow some um, at our current schools before we think about expanding. Uh, but in terms of the economic development company, that's where we're likely to see the growth. Um, we've grown our employees by like threefold in the last two years, and so we want to continue to, to grow, invest in businesses, um, and create jobs on the economic development side. Can you give us a, a sense of the size of the, uh, you know, the, the organization today? I mean, I'm wondering how big your team is. And how many, you know, how large a budget you have annually? Is there something you can help us understand what you're, what you're overseeing? Yeah. Yeah, so for the school side, we have about 240 employees, um, largely teachers and support staff. And the budget for the school network is about $17 million. Um, on the economic development side, uh, right now we're working on about 12 employees. Uh, and our annual budget is about $2 million. You mentioned a few of the numbers uh, that you're keeping a close eye on, but what would be the the ones you uh, you're, you find yourself looking at frequently? Yeah, so like I said, I think the first one is um, salaries, and then it's attendance, um, and then it's watching our cash flow. Managing our cash flow is, is extremely important for us because of the way that apportionment is coming from, from the state. Um, sometimes it's kind of lumpy, so we got to keep a close eye on cash flow as well. Is there a uh, is there a group, a charter school group across the country that maybe you have uh, and and the the leaders there have identified as a the model to match or the model to uh, continue to keep an eye on? I mean, what what are the aspirations here? I would imagine they. They do keep an eye on successful models for charter schools across the country. I'm sure it's a small world in some ways. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely a small, tight-knit world. Um, our CEO and chief of school has actually went on a trip uh, this past year to D.C. and New York and visited some schools. Uh, one network we keep our eye on is KIPP. KIPP is, a, is definitely a leader in, in this charter school space. Um, and so I think that would be a leader. But there's others, there's Democracy Prep. But if you're in the space, you know there's like a, there's a few that are really big nationwide, and then there's a bunch of um, kind of smaller ones that just focus on one region. You've already had a, uh, a number of interesting roles at GE and Ernst & Young, and now here where you're in a finance leadership position. Professionally, where are you headed? Is this something you're finding rather satisfying, this not-for-profit sector? Will we find you in the not-for-profit area five years from now? Uh, I think that's a really good question. Um, I am finding it satisfying right now, and I think what's interesting about my role now is I, I do get to do the not-for-profit work, um, but I also get to do, you know, for-profit kind of work on the economic development side under uh, a not-for-profit umbrella. Uh, in the future, I don't, I don't think there's a real tell of where I'll be. I think for my career, I'll be back and forth between nonprofit, for-profit, even government entities. Um, and what I'm really thinking about going right now, really focusing on is going deeper into technology. I think technology is going to change every industry. Uh, it already has, and it's going to continue to change in a more dramatic way every industry going forward. So you'll probably find me somewhere deep in technology, um, maybe across non-for-profit, for-profit, and government sectors. Julian Love, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader and filling us in on St. Hope. Thanks, Jack. Our next not-for-profit finance leader is Bob Bloom, CFO of Heifer International. If you're not familiar with Heifer, its mission is to end hunger and poverty while caring for the earth. Heifer isn't new. It's been around for 70 years. And our interview begins here with me asking Bob, how large is Heifer's workforce today? Heifers in 30 countries today. How many people does it employ globally? We have a, a little over 1,000 people. There's about 250 in the U.S., and there's about 800 that are in those 30 countries. And your finance team, is it spread across the uh, the globe, or are they concentrated there with you? In, in, um, uh, we, have a, we have a finance team here of about uh, 20 individuals that uh, uh, some of them work directly with the country offices, and then typically... Uh, each of our countries will have, uh, uh, depending on the size of the operation of the country, but one to ten finance people uh, in their organization supporting uh, their staff. How do you benchmark yourselves? How do you know this organization is performing in the, in the way you want it to? Uh, one of the, uh, uh, the key metrics in the industry, in the nonprofit sector, is uh, uh, functional allocation. So um, it's a... It's a Percentage of your expenses devoted to three activities, programmatic activity, fundraising activity, and management in general. 
So what I'm trying to do is, is work to uh, decrease the level of uh, expenses associated with the fundraising, level of expenses associated with the management in general, so that we can push as much as we can to the programmatic and actually fulfill our mission. So that's, that's one simple metric, but increasingly um, our work is becoming more outcome-based. And so we are very focused on, so how do we measure our improvement? We, we fundamentally, if you go to the field with us, you'll see that uh, uh, the farms are, are clearly better off and, and much enriched from, from, what, uh, from where they came from. And we've got this uh, simple sort of analogy. We're trying to move them A, which is the most marginalized, to a B setting, which is uh, relatively, relatively self-reliant, and to C, which is sustainable. So how do, we, how do we actually measure that? And we can tell people are better off. They're sending their kids to school. They're eating better. Their income might be improved, but how much? How much of each? You know, so we we're talking about trying to measure the return, i.e., the donor's return, uh, based on their um, uh, investment in heifer. So, if um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is a is a good supporter of us on a large project in East Africa, and we're trying to demonstrate to them that based on their significant commitment to the, their return, not the financial return, but the return to the farmers that they're trying to improve the lives of is significantly uh, enhanced. So we are trying to become very outcome-based. So we have 21 uh, core uh, indicators of our work uh, around income generation, asset, asset improvement, food security, environment improvement, women's empowerment, and social capital. So we're, we're measuring all those, and each one of those has key metrics around them. So we can draw a baseline. What's get, what gets measured gets done. And, um, you know, it, it, we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence, but how do we really put some, some hard data to that to actually uh, share with our donors that, you know, your investment, your investment in Heifer is, is, is really moving the needle in a big way. So – when we use the phrase uh, competitive landscape and apply it to the likes of Heifer, would it be the competition in terms of donors when you uh, present uh, to the foundations, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, is that where the competition is, where there are other likewise uh, not-for-profits presenting? I think what uh, really brings out our competitive edge is – uh, a couple of things. One is our single focus. You know, we're not trying to do, you know, 50 things. We're not trying to um, deal in healthcare. We're not trying to deal in um, uh, a lot of the other uh, uh, things that we could be involved with because, you know, the, the poor and marginalized have, have, have lots of things um, to address. But, you know, we're trying to be single focused. Uh, we're focused on the smallholder farmers. So, you know, we believe that you know, they're, they're feeding 70% of the earth. And if, uh, if the projections are right, the 7 billion people on earth today are going to be 9 billion at, in 2050. They're going to have to double their production, uh, in food to be able to sustain, sustainably feed the planet. So, um, it's, it's beyond just improving their lives. It's actually going to improve a lot of people's lives because, uh, the migration from rural to urban that it's happening in a lot of the developing countries. Um, is creating a, a huge uh, demand for for food, and and so we've got to make the rural farmers a viable oper opportunity. So I think single focus. I think our focus on the ground is what is appealing to you know 
the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and other donors that you know we have a strong knowledge. We've been on the ground for 70 years working exclusively with smallholder farmers. That's our niche. Um, you know we're we're agriculture based, largely livestock and crop crop based agriculture support, and that's what we do. And I think what we believe is our secret sauce is the social capital angle. So we believe bringing uh, the women into the picture more. Uh, a lot of the developing countries, um, uh, the women are, are marginalized, uh, you know, uh, subservient to the men and maybe the children, and in some cases even, you know, the livestock and other things. So, you know, raising up the women, we believe that uh, really enhances the uh, the benefits of our, of our work. But beyond that, how do how do you do that? Uh, I'm sorry, you're you're raising that interesting point about raising up the woman and, and exactly. How is that? How do you empower them in that fashion? Yeah. So um, our methodology, uh, you know, what we're known for is 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 a, it's a livestock-based agricultural organization, and so part of our methodology is to um, after some training on how to uh, feed the feed the animal, whether for example if it's a cow, you know, how to feed the cow, how to take care of the cow, how to vaccinate the cow, uh, to how to carefully breed uh, the cows, you know, what what technical training do they need, but beyond that, the social capital training. So we work with, there's about a 90-day period where we do nothing but training. So it's technical training, but also social capital training where we uh, bring the um, uh, the farmers in, in in groups of 20 to 30 people typically, and we will have training sessions where we teach them about the value of family, about the value of gender, and make them a part of the uh, farmer cooperative um, governance structure so that as, as they try to reach into um, uh, the market and with their products, so aggregating milk production or aggregating uh, uh, meat of a beef cattle or a goat so that they can have power in the marketplace so they aggregate uh, their resources to be, have a bigger voice. That we, If we bring women into that governance structure, we believe that's a part of it. We also uh, we'll work with these communities to establish a, a community savings account. A lot of these people aren't bankable, so we work with them to put aside very small amounts of money on a monthly basis, each of the farmers, so that if a house burns down or a child gets sick, you know, they're not totally destroyed and, and on the path from an A to a B, they don't have to drop back to A. And they're, so they're, a lot of these people are one shock away from back to marginalization. So that's, that savings account gives them that vital support. One of the things we're best known for, Jack, is uh, our pass on the gift uh, practice, which the farmers are obligated, if we give a farmer a cow, that the first female offspring, they're obligated to pass on to give to another farmer um, in the village. So it's done in the form of a ceremony, and I've been fortunate enough to uh, participate in um, maybe a dozen of these ceremonies in the four years I've been here where uh, they will pass on uh, anywhere from maybe eight cows to I've seen as many as 30 goats being passed on. So you'll have these villagers, women and men, giving another villager physically uh, a cow. And you, and the transformation you see in, in the donor's face, so these poor poor farmers have become marginalized and re- receiving that gift, and all of a sudden they become a, quote, donor. Um, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty dramatic and uh, pretty emotional. Can you give us a sense today of how the donors are perhaps working uh, more closely with you to assess the impact 
of uh, their funds. And, you know, the accountability for uh, uh, nonprofits in general hasn't been uh, as high as um, perhaps it should have been all along. You know, in the, in the for-profit industry for what I came out of, you know, you have metrics and, and earnings per share and, and all sorts of data that show your, you know, your, your accountability. What uh, the nonprofit sector is heavily focused on this. We just joined a consortium of uh, uh, retailers, consumer packaged goods companies, and uh, us and a, and a couple of other nonprofits, uh, where we made a commitment at, at the February Clinton Global Initiative, um, and uh, we are working with a company that is trying to establish the um, uh, the impact genome for for the nonprofit sector. And they started in education trying to determine what is the most effective intervention that leads to the highest return on a donor's impact. So there's a lot of science to it, and I'm very intrigued with it. In fact, I was at the Clinton Global Initiative um, participating in that event, that recognition with uh, President Clinton, and, and um, we believe it's got a um, uh, there's a lot of a lot of work to be done still, but we're very excited about being at, at the uh, at the table early on to help you know help really figure out what is, are the best things, and it'll have all sorts of uh, uh, nuances to it and, and 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 pieces to it, so that things we're not doing so well, we know what to work on. Things we're doing very well, we can work to enhance and and and, and uh, raise up. So um, we're really excited about that. So you know, we're really bringing science to more of an art, um, I think, is, is really exciting for us. And that's that's what I like. I, I, I believe, as a CFO, that um, we should be able to prove. And, and uh, you know, the anecdotes are, are beautiful. They really are. But, you know, how can we really show, really show someone that uh, uh, our work is, is, our work works, if you will. We'll be right back with our third not-for-profit finance leader after this short message from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Johanna Richman today oversees uh, tax and compliance uh, for Hofstra University. When she spoke to us last, however, she was the CFO of the ASPCA, and she shared some uh, really interesting insights, I thought, with us. 
Here's Johanna. Field because the ASPCA is really thought as the leader in that field. We can do for animals what no other organization is able to do. We recently were in North Carolina rescuing 700 animals from horrific conditions. We don't know of any other animal welfare organization that could have done what we do in that type of situation. Also, we're setting the standards for forensic vets um, education-wise and um, expanding the knowledge of forensics for animals. But what we do compete for, of course, are donor dollars. And very, there's, there's very notable not-for-profits doing amazing work. So setting ourselves apart from those is something that we try to do through social media. Also, uh, building a base of, of donors that give to us monthly. We call them the guardians. We also try to be sure that we keep our the information about this organization flowing to our donors and cultivate new donors all the time through social media and it is showing people what conditions animals sometimes endure and asking for their help. Johanna, that rescue effort, I just Googled rescue, animal rescue, North Carolina, and of course various headlines popped up related to this large effort that the ASPCA undertook. Um, and what I wonder about is what role does finance play in these types of uh, mission-critical uh, initiatives that happen from time to time. Clearly, there was a lot of money or funding that had that's, to be deployed. That's correct. Uh, you know, we make sure that they have all the financial resources they need. This was such a large effort. They had to, uh, and, and of course, these things are very often done um, without any announcement. So it is done silently. Nobody is aware that this is going to happen. One of my staff went on the what they call deployment to North Carolina, and she actually worked alongside with those rescuing animals, and her role was really to understand why it was very difficult for the people who were on deployment to get their expense reports in on time. <clears throat> she actually handles expense report the you know expense reporting here in my department. And she came back and said to me, I have such a different perspective now. She said I never realized from dusk till dawn these people are working and there is no time to do an expense report. Getting out of the department into other areas of any company is going to be like a game changer for 
the team. And I realize that it's not always easy, but with advanced planning and a little bit of effort, it it really can be done. Clearly, there was a there's an issue though there with expense reports coming in all during the course of a quarter. No predictability, perhaps. Was there a, a solution after the fact? Yes, we actually added another staff member to help this group um, and just concentrate on this group that goes on deployment. And basically, all they would have to do is, you know take their iPhone and send their receipts into uh, a new position that I'm putting in my department, and we will do those expense reports for them. Now, can you share with us the key metrics that you rely on to reveal how the ASPCA is performing? Yes, uh, we have both financial metrics and also our development department has metrics that they use, including um, seeing what is happening, you know, how many people open up an email that we send them, how many people uh, are liking us on Facebook, how many people are responding to certain uh, calls for help through either social media. We have campaigns that go on through social media, how many people participate, how many people attend our events. All of these are things that we track so that we know whether something is working for our donors or not. In the finance department, clearly we use other metrics to make sure that we are financially a sound organization and that we are meeting all of our objectives. If we have a, a certain program that we would like to, you know, initiate or build upon, like our spay-neuter operations, saving lives means that more animals should be spayed and neutered. How many of these spay neuters did we accomplish on our van, um, in our clinics, so that we know that we are working to save animal lives? That's funny. So when you hear the word customer, does it does it immediately mean the donor, or do you use the word customer in a different way, or do you not use it at all? We, I have not heard that term since... Um, I've been here. We actually feel that the animals we serve are, you know, are our customers, but uh, it's not necessarily a term that we use here at the ASPCA. No, it's interesting. It's not a good fit, is it? It's just uh, just a little wrong for both uh, your donors as well as the animals that you uh, protect and save. You're really measuring how engaged your community is yes. with the ASPCA. So that's attendance at meetings, that's uh, social media. Are they engaged? Are we really giving them information they want and approve of? And, and uh, in a way, that's your customer success metrics. I, yes, I would. absolutely. Well, I'll end there. Seems like I got it right, Johanna. 
told me so. We'd like to thank all three CFOs for once again participating and allowing us to feature in this not-for-profit CFO episode. I hope you found it interesting. For CFO Thought Leader, thanks for listening. Thought Leader listeners, whether you've already ascended into the ranks of finance leaders or have only just begun the journey, your professional narrative needs a reboot. Join our email list at cfothoughtleader.com and receive my latest email series, Finance and the Power of Narrative. It's time to mobilize the past to achieve your goals. Thank you for listening.